Good morning. I'm Wimala, and I'm I'm uh, stalling because I'm looking at my Facebook screen where I'm recording. And uh, yesterday, I remember I told you that things were all changed around. We haven't gotten that all figured out uh, on the Blue Lotus page, but it's little messages are popping up as I'm recording, going, try this and see, and try another way to do this or another way to do that. And it's it's like it wants to take me through a tutorial. <laughs> so it's, it's distracting. Um, it's Friday, March the 25th here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Really beginning to feel the spring allergies. I'm not sure what the difference is between the spring, summer, winter, <laughs> or fall allergies, but it's always in my throat. So, excuse me for sipping to keep <clears throat> to keep it open. I was just listening to Gil Fronsdale, who does a beautiful uh, insight meditation center, and it's in it's called Mid Peninsula now. It's Redwood City. Uh, he was talking a beautiful talk after his meditation on how we can be. Uh, we, you know, we talk about meditating for peace, and we should keep doing that for peace, our own peace, but also include when you're working on your own issues and your own self and trying to stay peaceful in a chaotic world. Um, he was he was stressing that we should be really focusing that that meditation for peace out uh, <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> not only focused on ourselves but really be sending it out into the world because he said the world really needs it. And you know for the more The more we see that, the more we see the need for that. So uh, it's a lovely talk. It's on YouTube, but I, I always like his talks and love. It's a it's a very good resource for good talks and meditations, and they bring in lots of good teachers. And everything they do is free. So um, I can I can share more with that. Have, have maybe have a program just about resources one day. But he was also talking about how we can, when we can't go and fix something or change something, we have to remember that being a witness is very important. And as, as meditators ourselves and as people who are working with the teachings of the Buddha, being a witness can be a very important a very important part for us because we talk about being an observer instead of getting caught up and, uh, you know, involved and uh, emotionally getting all torn apart that we can, we can observe and do use our own uh, discrimination about what we see, but we can, we can observe without falling into, uh, criticism and judging 
but he said at being a witness in these times of kind of craziness in the world is very necessary and being a being a witness is being that observer i think when we observe things instead of getting caught up in them sometimes that's all we can do is be a witness but witnesses are needed another suggestion he made based on his own experience um it, and i think is a really good one i haven't mentioned very much is he says when the when the new the all the everything on the me, through the media is just so repetitious and so uh, kind of created to manipulate our emotions. And he said one thing he found when he was many, many, I mean, back in the early 80s when he was training to be a monk. And I'm not sure if he was at Thailand, in Thailand or in Burma at that time, but way away from cities. And the news they would get would always be four or five days old. And he said somehow that put some distance from some of the really painful things in the news or the, the the news just about how crazy the world was. And he said sometimes a little bit of distance from it, it, it made it easier for them to uh, deal with it. And he also said he another suggestion he had that I thought was really good is sometimes it might be better rather than on a daily basis to be bombarded with images and, you know, uh, uh, five things coming at you at once and uh, just kind of the very latest of what's going on and see that all day and hear about it all day. He suggest, suggested, and this would also help as being a witness, to read, uh, maybe read monthly journals or magazines or uh, catch up with some deeper reading that might be in a in something that you like to read but isn't isn't daily but has something that goes into things in more depths in more depth and uh, that could be a way to 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 be knowledgeable and to be a good witness but to be not right there having things kind of being thrown into our uh, into our minds that we just are you know can't most of us can't handle that on a day-to-day hour-to-hour basis if we're plugged into social media and the news so it's good to it we we want to be and I like how he calls it being a witness we want to be a clear observer which means seeing things as they really are and being a witness for these situations all over the world, uh, we, sh- we have the qualities for that even as we practice mindfulness in our lives. So be, be good judges of what's uh, too much to take on. For some reason, every day, the last couple of days, I lose my book, my bookmark. And this is such a good section, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, miss some of these really good sections in this. So all teachings are practices and...
Well, I'm sorry. What? Where are we? <laughs> okay, does anybody remember what page we're on or where we are? Because I'm... Everything looks... Okay. That's not that. Well, we've talked about elements and here, the knowing it. And levels. You can be witnessing what happens when I lose my place in a book. Practicing with voidness, here we go. Yes, here's we left off about if we want, here's the last thing we read. This is, <laughs> if we want to prevent rats from coming around and disturbing us, we keep a cat. All we have to do is look after the cat and the rats will disappear without our having to catch them ourselves. The rat just goes about its business and the cat just goes about its business and there are no more rats. And he was talking about this is how we can uh, eliminate uh, eliminate defilements when we see them when we see them and it's clear we see them clearly it's so easy to let go of them so this section is called living right this is in the chapter contemplating no this is the chapter living the chapter is contemplating dependent origination living rightly. So we're talking about how that voidness comes from letting go of the I and the mine, and that's dependent origination is important because it shows us exactly where we can drop that tendency, right where it begins. And that's, that's how it can easily, we can easily at certain points before uh, before clinging becomes before craving becomes clinging, and before uh, those uh, things coming in through our senses, before that becomes something we begin to desire. So living rightly, let's talk. Of, let's see this because he's teaching us in this chapter is how to kind of move in on those points. It, when we mentally are creating those defilements and by knowing this, there's this, and then this happens, and then this happens, we can catch right at those points. And that's, that's going to be the easiest place and time to drop the defilements that are being created. This is living rightly. So this is talking about our, this is our day-to-day, -day, can be our day-to-day reality. If we merely oversee the eyes, ears, nose, body, and mind in the proper manner, the killing of defilements occurs naturally. This is to speak in conventional terms. It is the same as in the Buddhist teaching, because if you live rightly, the world will not be without arahants. 
arahants are the enlightened beings. Pay close attention to this. Just live in the right way. You don't have to do anything more than that. And the world will not be void of arahants. Those are what we could call them awakened people. This is not a minor point. Sama vihareyum means to live rightly. How is it to live rightly so that the world will not be void of arahants? To live rightly is to live untouched, untouched by forms, sounds, odors, flavors, and physical sensations. In other words, they are experienced, but they do not enter and concoct feeling, the vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, craving, which is tanha, so craving comes after the feelings, the ones we like and move towards or the ones we don't like we pull away from. They, the, in other words, they are experienced. So I think that's really important because some people think, oh, you mean we're not supposed to enjoy uh, music or uh, having something, you know, soft that I wear on my body or... They, they think it's uh, the, that the Buddha was talking about repressing all of that. But he says, but Buddha Dasa is making this very clear. They are experienced, all, everything that comes to us through our sense doors, <clears throat> but they do not enter and concoct feeling, craving, and clinging. Thus we live intelligently. We live with mindfulness and wisdom, void of I and mine, for we have studied enough and have practiced until we are sufficiently adept. So having made contact, the sense object dies like a wave breaking on the shore, just as if we have a cat in our house that kills the rats that enter from other houses or the forest. If we live in the right way, according to the principles of non-clinging, forms, sounds, odors, flavors, and physical sensations cannot harm us. We experience them and associate with them, but treat them with mindfulness and wisdom. Then we can eat them, consume them, possess them, or keep them without dukkha, without suffering resulting, just as if they don't exist. The result is the same as if we don't use them, don't eat them, don't keep them, because there is no us or ours. This is what most people will misunderstand. They will say, that's a life of renunciation, and I don't want to be a monk or a nun. They think uh, that's giving up everything. But He's telling us exactly here what it really means. And it seems so easy when we reduce these things that we can often become so attached to. He reduces them to forms, sounds, odors, flavors, and physical sensations. So it seems like, okay, I can handle those. <laughs> then we realize everything, everything in our world, that's what it's made up of, right? 
We experience them and associate with them, but treat them with mindfulness and wisdom. That's all we have to do. And the result is the same as if we don't use them, don't eat them, don't keep them, because there is no us or ours. On the other hand, when everything is done with I and mine, there is dukkha all the time. Even before consuming or keeping, there is already dukkha, suffering. And while actually consuming or keeping, there is further dukkha. The whole thing becomes miserable due to this cause. To be vexed with the disease of dukkha is called not living rightly. When we live rightly, there is no way for the disease to arise. If we live rightly, the defilements, and that's the Pali word is kilesa, the defilements have no food to sustain them. They must starve and die. Starving the defilements can be compared to caging a fierce tiger in a pen where there is no food. We don't have to kill it. It will die of its own accord. In the same way, that's kind of an image that's (laughs) caging a fierce tiger where there is no food. We don't have to kill it. It will die of its own accord. In the same way, we encircle and trap forms, sounds, odors, flavors, physical sensations, and mental phenomena right at the point where they contact the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. It's right at that point of contact where we make the decision. We cage them right there if we practice correctly towards those things right there at the very point of contact. The defilements have no way to get food. The tiger of defilement starves to death. In other words, the germ of defilement can no longer breed further defilement or cause dukkha. The Buddha taught that if we live rightly, simply live in the correct way, the earth will not be void of arahants. So people will continue to wake up, right? This is called practicing according to the principle of paticca samuppada, dependent co-origination. It is the kind of right living by which defilements cannot rise because we see that I and mine are mere illusions that only arise when sense contact gives rise to feeling, which then concocts craving. If the concocting of craving is avoided, clinging to I and mine does not take place. You should understand correctly that I and mine is a product of concoction. It's not real. It's an illusion in the same way that a wave arriving, arising from blowing wind is an illusion. The water is real and the wind is real, but the wave is an illusion. Here we use a material phenomenon 
for the sake of comparison, and the comparison is not perfect. We merely mean to indicate the illusoriness of a wave that arises due to concocting. The wind blows across the water, a ridge of water arises, and then it disappears. The feeling of I and mine, which arises over and over in a day, is like a wave. The water of the sense experience is contacted by the wind of delusion or ignorance. And the waves of I and mine are formed over and over again throughout the day. Sometimes even our lifetimes, a lifetime is uh, defined as it's a wave and the foam on the top of the wave, which, you know, goes away as soon as that wave, that uh, ridge of water moves on. And that, that's a human life kind of rising up and then going away. So that would be after multiple, multiple daily experiences. So, there's a short part and then this session is over. So I think I'm going to read Spiritual Birth. A single emergence of the feeling of I and mine is called one birth. A jati is birth. Uh, So a single experience of the feeling of I and mine is called one birth. This is the real meaning of the word birth. Don't take it to mean birth from a mother's womb. A person is born from the womb once and gets laid in the coffin once. That's not the birth the the Buddha pointed to. That's much too physical. The Buddha was pointing to a spiritual birth, the birth of clinging to I and mine. And one day there can be hundreds of such births. The number depends on a person's facility for it. But in each birth, the I and mine arises, slowly fades, gradually disappears, and dies. Shortly, on contact with another sense object, I and mine arise again. Each birth generates a reaction that carries over to the next. This is what is called the old comma of a previous birth ripening in the present birth. So let me read that again. He's saying each birth, that each of those arisings, and the I and mine arises, each birth generates a reaction that carries over to the next. This is what is called the old comma of a previous birth ripening in the present birth, which is then transmitted further. Every birth carries on the process. This is how to understand the fruit of action, or kama vipaka, and the reception of kama's results. Such an interpretation agrees with the the Buddha's own words. Any other interpretation strays from the point. We must understand birth, kama, and the fruits of kama in the correct way. For example, there can be birth as the desire of some pleasing object, and then death followed by birth as a thief, 
and then a further death followed by birth as the enjoyer of that object. In a short time, there is birth as a prisoner in the dock. Then, guilt having been established, birth occurs as a convent, convict in jail. These sorts of birth are many and muddled. They are like a multitude of threads tangled together. If you look closely, however, you will understand that if one stops birth, then at that moment there is Nibbana, that which is not born, does not age, does not sicken, and does not die. If there is still birth and still the feeling of I and mine, the wheel of birth and death keeps turning as a continual cycle of dukkha. So, let's see, I'm going to stop here. There's still a little bit to read. If we look closely, how I'm going to read this again. If you look closely, however, you will understand that if one stops birth, then at that moment there is Nibbana. That which is not born, does not age, does not sicken, and does not die. If there is still birth, still the feeling of I and mine, the wheel of birth and death keeps turning as a continual cycle of dukkha. So this might be more of an answer to the question, Susan, you're asking. What about our human need for human connection, physical touch? Um, it's he's remember he's not saying that he's saying that when it when that feeling that physical touch becomes uh, crave they're craving and then there's clinging and that clinging is when it becomes I me and mine. Um, that, but that's okay. That's a great question, and I think he's going to answer this right now. So it's a perfect question. It's exactly the one. So. We shouldn't think, however, that absence of birth means that one is so empty that there is no feeling at all. It does not mean sitting stiffly like a log of wood. On the contrary, one is extremely active. Being perfectly void of birth, void of I, is to have perfect mindfulness and wisdom. Whatever one does is completely fluent. There being no false thinking, false speech, or false action, one acts swiftly and surely. There is no possibility of error because one's satipana, that's our mindfulness, is natural and spontaneous. This state of mind is called void of I. The person who is void of I, who is Nibbana, can do anything and do it without error. He, her, or his actions are, mi- are many, are extremely swift, and are greatly beneficial. So that was the perfect question for this paragraph. Don't think that this sort of experience, the no, no, no me, no, no, no I, no mine, don't think that this sort of experience makes you unable to do anything, that you'll just stop everything and be lethargic, weary, and indifferent. That's your own idea. Your foolishness makes you afraid of sunyata, 
afraid of Nibbana, afraid that ending your craving will be unpleasant. So that's what we all think, right? If we give up those things we love, life, what's the point? In fact, the ending of craving is the ultimate pleasure and the greatest happiness. It is true pleasure and happiness. It is not harmful, deceitful, or illusory. The pleasure of the ordinary, unenlightened person is false. It is deceitful, illusory, and fills one with dukkha. It is like bait, which catches us on its hook when we swallow it. Ordinary enjoyment of pleasure is called falling into the hands of the devil. In such a state, there is unceasing confusion. One is trapped on the wheel of birth and death, in the chain or the whirlpool of dukkha, unable to get free. And he's he's talking about that life and death are uh, every time that I and mine enters what we're doing. So... I think he's he, he's he's there's something that we we that we us ordinary people we're, we still have that ignorance that unknowing that we've never we've never understood so it's this is like seeing something for the first time we're still trying to figure out what it means and what it uh, what it uh, what it would what it would really look like and I think it would. I'm see I can understand more clearly from Buddha Dasa's teachings how it's it's uh, he's saying we don't have to give up those uh, love and connections and uh, the, but we we can let go of the clinging to it we can let go of to and often you know we cling to something so hard that we lose it anyway well not often I think it's we and and we can have uh, we can have the great love of our life and lose them suddenly and un- unexpectedly. And so if there's clinging there, then the pain is so great. But it doesn't mean we can't enjoy the pleasures of having a person or having a family or having good friends that we can hug and, you know, hold hands with and uh, be very... Uh, but very alive with everything we do. Well, we have to learn, and it's new for all of us. I mean, it's not the way we were brought up. We have to let go of the craving, that something becoming a craving, and that immediately can become clinging. So it's the clinging that create that creates the dukkha. Even the craving, we can stop it. But the clinging is where we like like this is this is my life. Don't take it away from me. You can't take this away. It's mine. I can't be any other way. So it this is something we're learning as ordinary humans because you know. So I think this is the best. This is chapter ten. I think it's the best explanation for me to really make the connection and understand that of course we don't understand it because we've we we have everything in our world is focused on you know everything's about me right that's just the way we're human beings and that, that's until we learn this it's that it's a state of ignorance so 
We, we can understand that, I think, because we know we can learn things all of our lives, you know, right up until the point of death, we can be learning. The brain, the brain, the brain has that uh, ability to do that. So I think we can. Uh, Buddha Dasa is, some people disagree with his saying that um, when Buddha talks about birth and death, Buddha Dasa saying that happens every time we create that uh, uh, self and get caught up, begin that clinging and craving. You know, we're at the we're at the clinging part to I and mine, and that every time we do that is when a birth and that's a death. I like the one about the person who sees something and wants it, and that's a good analogy see something and wants it so then then he steals it so then so he really wants it so that's then that's the death of that life then he steals something and becomes a thief the thing the thing that he wanted and then he becomes uh, a prisoner and you know so those are all uh, deaths and new lives each stage of that process so, our time's almost up, but just let's just take about four minutes to just sit together and then share our merit. So, and just let it, let this, let this information just kind of. Just kind of sit with it. Um, kind of think of your own life and see examples in it of how how these things can ring true. And we'll just breathe for a few minutes. So as I end my time with you today, may all of us be well, feel safe in this world. May we be contented and have true happiness. And may we be peace inside and outside. And may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all beings in this world. Thinking especially of our friends in Ukraine and our brothers and sisters and families and connections and all the living beings in all the places where people are not safe, where there's fear and war and famine and drought and hunger 
May we be witnesses to the world and see, see this world clearly. This earth. So thank you so much for being part of my to be part being part of my practice and to helping me understand things and so this is um, this is I, I know there are differing views about uh, well in, in the Theravada tradition we say rebirth we don't use the word reincarnation but so that that gives that rebirth can happen every minute. Maybe we can stretch it out so we have longer minutes of letting go of I and mine. And uh, that's not in the not in the day-to-day mundane world. We have to use I and mine. It's, it's how we speak and understand each other. But we can let go of the tightness, the conf- confines of that. So I think Buddha Dasa is going to help all of us understand the concept better. So thank you so much, and uh, I love seeing all of you and feeling. I feel your presence. So I'll see you Sunday. Bye-bye.